I mean, my late grandmother loved making afghans. And the amount of yarn that Joe Biden spins, I mean, make her blush. I mean, she would have had nothing other to do than to just make afghans all day long. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And thanks for listening to Flyover Country. This is Scott Jennings, proud that we're able to bring this program to you tonight and proud of all the listeners that we're hearing from out there for Flyover Country. I seem to run into people every day, guys, that are like, oh, man, I love your podcast. And every time I talk to somebody, uh, I'm really, uh, really gratified to hear that. So if you haven't yet subscribed or liked or whatever they're calling it these days, please do leave us a uh, a review on there and uh, tell your family and friends. The Flyover Country podcast is coming to you each and every week from Louisville, Kentucky. Joining me tonight, Sean Southerd is here. Hello. Jared Crawford is here. Uh, Kevin Grout has the night off. Joe Arnold did not have the night off. He just forgot uh, that we were <laughs> recording a podcast tonight and he decided to go out to dinner with people who aren't us. So we may I think get, Joe, uh, Joe's, uh, Joe's on some thin ice here with his attendance record. I'm just going to... Yeah. I'm, well, I'm, yeah I'm, he was in Alaska for like two months, and now he's just, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I, around to dinners. So I sort of feel like the Flower Country podcast HR department is going to be in touch with Joe about his spotty <laughs> work record. And, um, you know... We'll see how that goes. Uh, we three, however, are going to tackle the news this week and soldier on uh, with or without uh, our normal uh, host. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and we'll see how that goes. We should demote <laughs> Joe. We should make him like assistant to the regional host. Next time he comes on, he's got to he's got to change his title. <laughs> I like it. All right. In the in the rundown this week, we've got to talk about this New York Times story about Joe Biden and all the lying that he does. Although the New York Times called it spinning yarns. But uh, it's essentially a long story in the New York Times about all of the lying and fabrications and exaggerations that Joe Biden is doing. We're going to talk about the Pennsylvania Senate race and John Fetterman over there. There was a big uh, interview he did with NBC, which sort of showed just how much he's struggling uh, and then all the journalists attacked the journalist who did the interview. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Uh, the president uh, pardoned everybody uh, who's in jail for a marijuana conviction, simple possession, or did he? We'll talk about that. Uh, we got a couple of clips to play tonight. And, and one more thing, and this is where I want to start. This is not in the rundown, guys, but I think you guys saw it. I was absolutely outraged today. There's a reporter named Bill Malugan of Fox LA. He's local reporter in LA. And he's been tracking this. And he uncovered some in emails of the Department of Homeland Security. Do you guys remember when a few months ago, uh, several months ago now, when the whole internet exploded because there was an allegation that Border Patrol agents were whipping migrants who were coming across the border. The allegation was that these border patrol agents were riding around on horses and they were using whips and they were whipping these illegal immigrants. There were pictures on Twitter. People just had a meltdown. Then it 
Then it became pretty clear because the photographer who took the photo said no, no one was whipping anyone. Then there was an investigation that revealed no one was whipping anyone. Well, the emails that came out today revealed that the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, was alerted by top officials at the department that the immediately that the whipping narrative when those photos came out was not true. So he was immediately told, look, this whole Twitter whipping thing is not happening. But he went over to the White House two and a half hours later, held a press conference and did not refute the narrative. Instead, he called the images horrifying despite knowing the truth. Despite knowing the truth, he lied to the American people. Joe Biden lied to the American people. And they drugged these Border Patrol agents through the mud, all to appease a blue check Twitter mob. Sean, what do you make of it? I just think it's, you know, inexplicable. Why would they would do it other than to just completely validate a narrative that was out there that served their political purpose, which was to pile on these law enforcement officials. Uh, and we've never gotten an apology for this. More importantly... The law enforcement officers have never gotten an apology for this, um, and I think that it just is beyond the pale. Jared, you know, one thing about this story that I actually think is connective tissue to the midterm campaign cycle is just the issue of crime is rising in all these campaigns. And there's a real debate going on between the two political parties, and that's who supports the police? You know, who really stands up for the cops? And obviously a lot of the oxygen on this debate has been over the defund the police versus not. It's killing Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. It's really hurting uh, Sherry Beasley in North Carolina. The crime narrative, we'll talk about Pennsylvania, it's hurting Fetterman there. But, but to me, this fits right in because this administration, their first instinct, well, even in light of knowing the truth, their first instinct was how can we attack law enforcement officers who are trying to keep this country safe and secure. And so overall narrative to me here fits Democratic Party, Democratic administration, first instinct, yeah. fight and attack the cops, right? Yeah, there's two things that really stand out to me on the story. That, that's the first one, right? That there's this instinct to take what was really one or two still images completely out of context and shape them to fit your narrative, right? And so in this case, it was both the sort of anti-law enforcement narrative. But I, if I remember correctly, I believe the vice president said that this is like a symbol of systemic racism too, right? Yeah. So it's like mm -hmm. they, they take these out-of-context images and they always make them fit their narrative. Um, you know, this happens sometimes where like these images or these tweets will go viral, but it's usually, I don't know, Rex Chapman or somebody ridiculous like that who's tweeted a picture from 2016 completely out of context and they get millions of retweets. But it doesn't always make it make its way up to the president and vice president sort of condemning it or yeah. you know, making it necessary to call a press conference or, or lie about it directly to the American people, right? They're sort of fine with the narrative, but it doesn't always get to the president. Him, he, he, know, them knowing that this was a lie and still walking out there and saying, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this and tacking these Border Patrol agents and then, as Sean mentioned, never apologizing to them 
after i mean it was a week after these pictures went viral we knew they never carried whips they never had whips they weren't whipping them they aren't you know like all these things weren't true and so it is incredibly frustrating because they took an out of context picture and just and just you know spun some yarn to fit their narrative <laughs> and on and on top of what the vice president said the president himself actually remember he said these people will pay mm-hmm. so you have the head of the executive branch promising to punish two federal employees who ostensibly work for him in some grander way uh without knowing the facts we thought he didn't know the facts at the time now we we know the administration knew the facts they knew it was a lie and yet the president still went out there promised to punish these guys jeopardize their right their due process rights as federal employees who were going to undergo an investigation this thing stinks to high heaven and i hope i hope and i think i'm going to ask him when we get him on here i hope the incoming chairman of the house oversight committee kentucky's jamie comer is going to look into this my work is, has a horrific track record at dhs anyway throw this log on the pile of things that have to be looked to me to me this is impeachable this is absolutely impeachable given Given how derelict in his duty he's been otherwise, to me, this is impeachable, Sean. Well, I mean, my question is, you know, were they defamed by this of process? Course. I mean, of course they were. I think I think they were. And I think that that's a real problem. And, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if we see these agents at some point file a lawsuit saying they were be defamed. Fine. Be fine with me. And they and they would deserve their day to have their names uh, uh, unbesmirched. <laughs> uh, uh, what's, what's the word for that? Resmirched? I don't know. I don't know what they have. I don't know <laughs> what they need, but I will tell you, they need to have their names clear because their names were sullied. They were drugged through the mud. They were absolutely used as pawns in a larger political game to fit a narrative, and none of it was true. And now we know the top levels of the Biden administration knew it was a lie. And they ran with it anyway, which brings me to our next topic. Joe Biden lies all the time. No. This president. Yeah. And you know what? You know how I know it? That's not what the press but, says, Scott. But, well, I know it because the New York Times of all publications told me so. Big story in the Times this week. Biden, the storyteller in chief, spins yarns. That often unraveled, and that's a pretty gentle headline <laughs> and a pretty gentle way to say this guy lies all the time, which is, of course, what they said about Donald Trump. Even in the midst of, of all this, uh, if you read this story, like they go through all these stories and lies that he's told over and over and over again. They did include this paragraph. Mr. Biden's instances of exaggeration and falsehood fall far well short of those of his predecessor who during four years in office delivered what the Washington Post fact checker called a tsunami of untruths and CNN described it as a quote staggering avalanche of daily wrongness now their their right to publish this paragraph is there I guess but my question is how would we know because the minute Joe Biden took office fact checking ceased I remember during the Trump year, somebody had a daily lying counter. Like they would literally count. I think it was the Post. They would literally count the number of lies and say, this is his 15,406 lie. 
all that went away. Are all those fact checkers out of work now? Like, where are they in an unemployment line, or wh- where are they? I don't know. I can tell you, whatever they're doing, they're not fact checking Joe Biden or his administration. But to me, one of the biggest problems with journalism and the media industry today is all of the things that were applied to Donald Trump, all of the things that were built to supposedly track him and keep up with his lies and yada yada. It all just went away. Yeah. It all just went away. And when I read this, when I read this, I had two thoughts. One was, my goodness, the New York Times is laying just a finger on Joe Biden, so hell hath frozen over. (laughs) And my second thought was, remember what they did to Tim Scott? Yeah. Washington Post story where, you know, he's told the story about how his family's gone from cotton to Congress. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. In in so many generations. And there was this huge expose about how he was, they alleged, uh, misconstruing the truth. I mean, this, there is a double standard that goes on with these people. And I mean, it's ridiculous. Think about Joe Biden, Jared, in the last few days. He went from claiming to have grown up Puerto Rican, <laughs> which did happen. Yep. Then then he claimed that his house was nearly destroyed by lightning, when in fact I think he had a small electrical small, problem. Small kitchen fire or something like yes. that. Yeah. Um, mm, mm. Then he went to a fundraiser and claimed that we're on the brink of nuclear Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And the problem with Joe Biden's constant lying is that when are – and hey, this is what they said about Trump. When are we supposed to take him seriously? If you're going to – I mean he literally said he grew up Puerto Rican and that his house was nearly destroyed. I mean none of this was true. He said he was arrested in South Africa. This sounds Not like a, a lot of cultural appropriation to me. I don't know about oh, you, I, yeah. gentlemen. But then, um, but, then, but then he goes to an event. And he makes this crazy claim, like, hey, we're on the brink of nuclear Armageddon. And then the next day, his staff says, ah, there's really nothing new on this. Sorry. <laughs> and so I just, at some juncture, yeah. at some juncture, you can't treat this guy differently than Trump just because you hate Trump and he replaced Trump. I know that's what the entire yeah. media industry wanted. But excusing this and treating it with kid gloves, I mean, they used to call Trump a liar every day. Today we're calling it spinning yarns. I just, at some point, you have to hold this guy accountable. Yeah, Jared. Uh, in the piece, they sort of like uh, describe, or like his supporters describe him as like your, you know, your old uncle who t- tells sort of tall tales of like I ran with John Wayne and the Cowboys, and you're like, ha you know, that's that's great, right. you know, Grandpa or whatever, and you like sort of laugh it off. That's fine if that's your grandfather, not the president of the United States, like whose like words matter, as the president has said, right? So like your grandpa like embellishing stories from like you know, there's there's this uh this is a, a long joke, but uh Brian Scalabrini after the the Celtics won the um NBA championship in two thousand eight, a reporter asked him, You didn't play a single minute in this championship series, like, what are you going to tell your kids when you go home? And he says, well, you know, in five years, I'll probably tell them I started. In 25 years, I'll probably tell them I hit the game-winning shot. And in 45 years, I'll tell them I won MVP, right? Like, you sort of laugh <laughs> yeah. it off, and over the years, stories becoming Like, I, 
I think most people get that. It's just not okay for the president of the United States who multiple times over decades, over multiple run. I mean, let's not forget his first time running for president, his lies about his, his past unraveled his, his campaign for decades has been told, Hey dude, that's not true. Stop saying it in front of cameras. Like you want to say it in private at fundraiser. Sure. Stop saying it in front of cameras. And he keeps saying it. And the media is like, you know, yeah, it's a lie, but is it really, you know, he's just having fun. Well, you know what they, you know what they say, Jared, actually, what, what his most uh, fierce liberal defenders say is, well, he doesn't as lie as much as Trump. Yeah. So their excuse, their excuse for the lying is to lower the bar so low. And and they're saying, well, we're going to hold Joe Biden to this standard, a standard, by the way, which Joe Biden says made Trump quote, the worst president in American history. So the standard by which Joe Biden's defenders hold us, he needs to just be one lie less mm-hmm. than the worst president in American history. That That is what, I don't think that's the great defense of him that they believe it is, Sean. I mean, my late grandmother loved making Afghans and the amount of yarn that Joe Biden spends <laughs> make her blush. I mean, she would have had nothing other to do than to just make Afghans all day long. And so, I mean, I just think that all that we're asking for is for a standard to be applied equally. That, that's the other thing about this story, too. I remember in high school when you would, like, write a paper and you use the same word a bunch of times. So you'd control F and then you'd look for your Google synonyms for, like, great. This story, just like they wrote lie and then found ways to like not say that he's lying. Like he spins yarns, he embellishes, he exaggerates stories. It's like, no, if it's not true what he's saying and he's saying it deliberately, he's lying. Like it's even the way they present it is is frustrating. It's amazing. He he is he gets away with so much. And you think about all of the excuses that get invented over the years back during the campaign. When Joe Biden would get confused and tell some crazy story or lie about something. Remember, the main thing was, oh, well, he has a stuttering problem. And so you can't you can't hold him, you know, accountable for this. I mean, a stuttering problem. I mean, which is which is we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about Pennsylvania. I have thoughts on that. Uh, and now it's mostly just, well, he's not quite as bad as Trump. So that makes it OK. I mean, the, <laughs> the amount of covering for the lying. But the lying also extends, gentlemen, to his defense of his own policy actions, one of which came last week and brought a great thrill to some people, I guess. Joe Biden um, pardoned, mass pardoned about 6,500 federal prisoners who had some kind of a simple possession uh, of marijuana on their record. So these are federal mm-hmm. criminals mm-hmm. who had some kind of marijuana possession on, that he pardoned about 6,500 people. Now, let me ask what, let me, let me say this. When he, when he rolled this out, Joe Biden said, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana, sending people to prison for possessing marijuana has upended too many lives. Dot, dot, dot. Question. News quiz. Do you know how many people are in federal prison solely, solely for the reason of possessing marijuana? Anyone? I I didn't know then, but I asked a couple people and then I found out very quickly. Even the White House had to admit after all of this 
quote, no one is currently serving time in federal prison solely for the crime of simple marijuana possession. So in rolling out this policy, he had to lie to make it seem like he was righting some massive wrong when, in fact, he is not. There is a terrific, a terrific op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by Bill Bennett and Seth Liebson uh, back on October the 7th, and they lay out chapter and verse what a weird explanation Joe Biden gave and what a terrible policy choice this is. Now, I admit, I know I'm on the wrong side of public opinion on this, and you guys may disagree with me, but I was I was persuaded by Bennett and Liebson here uh, that what Joe Biden has done uh, is just pretty dishonest and pretty wrong. Jared, where are you at on this one? Yeah, I actually don't have a problem necessarily with the policy itself. I think pretty, pretty much anybody like under 35 doesn't think anybody should be in jail for simple marijuana possession. My first beef is that he did it by executive order again. This is the only way this guy can get literally anything done and is now mm-hmm. asking governors to sort of like follow suit. Um, you know, how dare we follow the actual legislative process to make changes, right? Um, I, it's just the timing of it. Again, clearly it's just another stunt to try to appeal to his base. It does absolutely nothing. Um, you know, his the, the sort of left has built this uh, myth of mass incarceration and this is going to be the fix for it when as you mentioned scott zero people will be actually let out from behind bars because of this so it's just a a total stunt again it's another one of these biden things where the only way he can do it is just by himself nobody else can he can't even get his own party on board when they control washington so again it's a stunt you know three four weeks before the the midterms yeah, clearly yeah so scott is your question what is my opinion on you know, an announcement that has no actual effect on anybody who's currently in jail, because that's yeah, I'd lo- I would love to yeah. know what your opinion is. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, I have no thoughts on that, honestly, apart from it being like Jared said, a, a PR stunt. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it was interesting. You could tell with some of the reporting that happened uh, here in Kentucky uh, that the uh, the White House uh, Office of Intergovernmental Affairs should do a better job of reading in some of their. Uh, their uh, governors uh, in on what they're doing uh, because the uh, the Bashir administration put out a statement saying, well, of course, we agree that no one should solely be in jail because of, of marijuana possession, which, of course, we've already said. Yeah. Hardly. Yeah. Like, no we went one. And let every single one of them no out. By him, but then, know, then they added, it. you know, but the White House has not briefed us on exactly yeah. what the yeah. pardons may require and the specific details of what they will and will not cover. So great rollout, guys. Congratulations. Yeah. I, well, it's uh, sort of half-assed, like a lot of the things they do. Uh, in this in this column that was in the Wall Street Journal, uh, there's an interesting paragraph. The authors say, quote, We might say at least this much for Mr. Biden's announcement. It will expose as false the claims by the pro-legalization movement that we have a scourge of mass incarceration based on prosecuting simple marijuana use. Once we see the full criminal and sentencing records of the new 6,500 supposed beneficiaries. It will wreck the narrative. They were simply minding their own business and harming no one when the feds came crashing in the front doors. This uh, column points out that most of the people that were in that had some kind of possession on their record were also in for one or more other offenses, many of them violent. Exactly right. Yeah. 
Yep. And so I, I, um, you know, this is one of those things where uh, the narrative, the yarn has been spun. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the polling on this, something like 60% of Americans agree with this because they believe they've been told that peaceful people just sitting around their house are being harassed, you know, uh, for no reason other than simple possession. It's just not true. And it's interesting, I think, for a lot of Biden's policies, in order to try to make them popular, you have to tell people things that aren't true in order to trick people into believing, well, this seems like a reasonable thing to do. If you knew the truth about this one, like on so many occasions, perhaps you wouldn't be so approving of it. All right, let's move. Oh, sorry. Just just quickly, last thought on this, too. I think you also have to ask the question of what's next, right? Like, this is how all of this sort of progressive criminal justice reform starts. We saw this in New York with things like bail reform. It's always just, well, let's just start with the nonviolent drug dealers. And then next thing you know, it's, well, is carjacking actually a violent crime? Is child yeah. endangerment actually a violent crime? And that's the North Star of of the left, right? They they don't want people, they don't want criminals in jail. And so I think Biden is going to have to answer for, well, what's next? Are there other individuals that you want to let out of jail that potentially are violent or do have violent pasts. And and I think he's going to have to answer to that. Well, and that is a perfect segue to someone who absolutely wants to let people out of jail who have <laughs> committed violent crimes. Our friend John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, who is in the news this week because, A, he's the Democrat nominee in one of the most targeted Senate states for the Democrats. B, um, he did an interview this week with NBC He's not been seen in public much when he has been seen and he's been recovering from a stroke that he had that his campaign lied about for many months about how bad it was. But he's been recovering. But when he has been seen, it's been pretty rough. It's been very rough. And we're not going to play clips of uh, John Fetterman on the pod, guys. But a couple of interesting things are happening now in this campaign. Number one, um, they're, they're, I think it's, it's October. The Fetterman campaign has been a campaign about nothing. You know, they've lurched from vegetables to supposed animal experiments to, you know, what any anything throwing anything at the wall against Dr. Oz. Oz has been running a pretty focused campaign on crime and the polling has gotten closer and closer. So they've gotten to October. It's a campaign without a real candidate. He's been virtually no nowhere to be found because he can't be. And it's been a campaign without anything to say. Well, now we're in October and they have to put him out there and show people that he can at least try to show up and do an interview or something and B they're actually going to have to start talking about issues now. And the people who've been attacking Fetterman, Sean, uh, or at least questioning whether he's up to this, including the journalist who committed the interview, who did the interview are now under attack from the left. That's true. And I just wanted to draw attention to something, Scott. Did you 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 see the special guest appearance on the podcast? Joe Arnold has entered the chat. I'm sorry. Did Joe show up for work? We've got Joe Arnold here. <laughs> he did. Oh, I, I was going to come at the regular time, but we had to accommodate your, you know, celebrity schedule. <laughs> See, we, we we just finished talking about Joe, all of the lies and the yarns that Joe Biden is spinning. And I see in spirit with the current president of the United States, you're also spinning a yarn. You know what time we were doing this. And I know you wanted to have where, where did you have fancy dinner tonight? Where was your fancy dinner? Mesh. Mesh. You went to mesh. Yeah. That's a good place. Very fancy. Yeah. Fancy place. All kind of farm to table. Well, 
is, isn't every restaurant farm to table at some, in some juncture <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, I was listening to your, to your comments about Fetterman. I, I think it's uh it is fascinating, this whole chapter here. What I was just curious to ask you, Scott, though, about if you were Fetterman's campaign manager, would you have agreed to that interview in the first place? He would have well, quit. They're in, <laughs> they, well, they, uh, they're in a tough spot because on the one hand, they've got the problem of Fetterman who, who truly is having trouble. I mean, if you've watched any of the clips of him, it's it's quite obvious. But on the other hand, and so that would lead you to say, well, let's be cautious here. But on the other hand, it's October. People are fixing to vote and legitimate questions have been raised and you can't just wave it off. You know, we were talking earlier about Biden back in the 2020 campaign when he would say yeah. when he would lie or tell some crazy story or say something. Clearly, he got confused. That, oh, well, he's a stuttering problem. You can't question him. He has a stuttering problem. They're now doing the same thing with Fetterman. When Fetterman is clearly not up to this. Well, you can't. You're, you're not allowed to criticize him. You're not allowed to raise questions about him. And now they're even saying, well, he just has hearing issues. It's just his hearing that's off. That's all that really – no, it's not his hearing. He hears it fine. It's the processing. We haven't heard from Fetterman's doctors in six months. Yeah, We don't know what's going on with this guy. All we know is what we can see, and what we can see tells me the questions about this are very, very legitimate. So to answer your question, Joe, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, so, candidly, John Fetterman, if he had been a responsible figure – would have resigned from this campaign six months ago and allowed the Democrats to nominate someone who was up to it. He didn't do that, so now I think they have to live with the questions. So, and, and another follow-up to that is, and not that you have direct knowledge of the Fetterman campaign or what's going on, but in general, what all is being polled and how often are the polls coming back to these campaigns? So it seems to me that they have some sense of urgency to do this. Is that being fed by the fact that you think that the, poll, the, the, the voters themselves are telling the Fetterman campaign they need to have a little bit more confidence here? Oh, coming out of the primary, you know, this campaign wasn't all that close. You know, Oz had persistent image issues. He got $20 million in negative ads dumped on his head. He was in rough shape. And so they were able to coast along for most of the summer, hiding Fetterman and just kind of, you know, and the press, of course, goes along with it all and helps and aids and abets it. But it was it was truly running a campaign about nothing. But by the time you get to October, voters actually expect you to, you know, answer basic questions and say what you would do. And over the course of that time, the Republicans have been prosecuting a very effective campaign on crime. Fetterman is one of the most liberal candidates in the country on crime. I mean, he said he wants to let murderers out of jail. And so and, and he was on the parole board and he voted to let very violent people out of jail. And so this has become a real issue. And I don't think they could hide him any longer. This race has become extremely close. A lot of the polling still shows Fetterman with a very, very slight lead, sort of. But it's toss up. It's toss up on the map. And uh, and even though the governor's race in Pennsylvania has gone the wrong way for Republicans because the candidates are Looney Tunes. The Senate race is going the right way for Dr. Oz. He's tracking. He's working. They're running a focused campaign. And now Fetterman's going to have to answer for it. And there's a month to go. I don't really think they had a choice because it looked like this thing was starting to turn over on him, you know? So, guys, I, I don't mean to interrupt your flow here and, and the things that you've already discussed. But, Scott, I, if you already discussed the Senate map or not, I, 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 to, to me, I, I need an update <laughs> in terms of where we're looking tonight. No, we haven't. We haven't talked about the Senate map yet, Joe. We were just getting to the to the Pennsylvania race, uh, but uh, happy to happy to talk about that. I mean, it looks to me at the moment like Pennsylvania is a toss up, and that's a that's a Republican held seat. It looks to me like Georgia remains a toss up, 
Uh, Herschel Walker has, I think, mostly weathered this storm. There's been some polling out there, uh, polling from the Republicans had actually Walker up a couple. Uh, there was another poll that had Warnock up a couple. So, it, I mean, neither candidates at 50. Um, so still in the toss-up range in Georgia, it strikes me. I think Nevada's still basically in the same toss-up range, although I uh, will admit uh, um, there was a poll today from USA Today Suffolk that showed Masto up a couple of points, but it, it seems to be out of line with most of the rest of the Nevada polling. But you look at those three races, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, that's where this thing's happening right now at the top tier. Uh, and they're all incredibly close. And uh, and certainly if Republicans are able to hold on in Pennsylvania, it, it opens up two doors for them, which is winning either Georgia or Nevada, and you've got the Senate majority. So, and what about Washington? That's the one we talked about a few podcasts ago. With yeah, smiling. yeah, I think Republicans are still trying in Washington and Colorado to put those on the on the board and some money is being spent in both states. I know the Senate Leadership Fund uh, guys uh, put a buy in in Colorado. So there's some belief that O'Day is is in the zone out there running against uh, Bennett in uh, Colorado. So I put those in the same bucket. Candidly, I put those states in the same bucket that I think Democrats should put Ohio in. I just is it possible that J.D. Vance could lose to Ryan? Uh, Yeah, I guess if you look at the polling, it's close. But the state's red, and it's unlikely to happen. I think about that way for Republicans. Blue states, uh, but I think the Republicans have better candidates in Washington and Colorado than the Democrats have in Ohio. So I I guess they're sort of similar in some ways, but uh, all outer band in my opinion. I'll just add, lastly, on on Pennsylvania, too. Um, Obviously, the the Fetterman stroke is sort of a touchy subject, right? There's a way to talk about this and a way to handle it, but – Obviously, you don't wish ill will upon him. If the doctors did come out and say he's perfectly fine, I think we'd all believe him. It's just this this ambiguity. But I also think this, like, sheen that Fetterman is this, like, everyday guy who, you know, like, grew up in a steel mill and was born, like, at a construction site. Lived with his parents until uh, he was, so you know, like, I, 40. I, yeah, I have yeah. started to see that sheen start to wear off, too, right, as he's sort of like lost sight of who he is as a candidate, right? That when you have to kind of sit inside and you can't talk about who you are or what you believe in, like these, the sort of reality of what you are comes to, comes to pass. And, uh, you know, we, we've learned that his parents, you know, paid for his housing till he was 49. And well, actually he went to Harvard. He's not just like this everyday guy who, you know, all these sorts of things too. Like I see that, that sheen of the guy who just wears Carhartt sweatshirts and is, got a goatee and again you know you'd, you'd see him at, at your lunch break at the steel mill like I, I see that sort of wearing off too and i think the pennsylvania voters are, are waking up to, to sort of yeah. both of those things at the same time and so i, I think people are gonna if fetterman is to lose will be like oh republicans were so bad to attack his health that's unfair i don't know that that's going to be the only determining factor here yeah, I think uh, I think you're right about that, Jared. I mean, speaking of spinning a yarn, I mean, the entire Fetterman narrative is completely and totally made up. Yeah. There is nothing authentic about this guy. Uh, not only did he live off of his parents until he was 49, the house he lives in, I think he bought from his sister for like a dollar. Yeah, I mean, yes. this guy this guy's never had a real job. The town he was mayor of that he always has claimed he saved. There's a big story out today about 
about how just completely not true. And even when he, and even, even, you know, back in those days, you know, there's this story about him chasing the African American down the street with a shotgun. There's a story about, there's a story about him vandalizing an African American owned business. I mean, this guy, this, this, his entire thing is made up. Yeah. It's a yarn. It's a narrative. It's, but none of it, none of it is true. If you just scratch the surface. And I think the problem with this campaign is, is people started to realize this. He's not been out there and capable of, of defending it. Right. He's not, he's not out there on the trail to change people's minds or to hold people's view of that. And so I I do agree with you. I think it's catching up with him, Sean. So much yarn is being spun that we're all going to have wonderful sweaters by the end of this. Yeah. It's just, you know, the way winter is coming, the way we we talk about like Biden and he's like the folksy grandpa, they've weaved this narrative of of Fetterman the same way that he's the like just the towny guy who never left the small town and worked for his parents and he just loves wearing his sweatshirt. It's just like it's just not true. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to my sweater. I don't know about you. I mean, I I, I really am. Yeah. All I got to say, Jared, is by the time. Listeners have heard this portion of the podcast. They will have already heard Sean's pithy remark in the cold open. I'm I'm I'm, I'm counting on you to spin the yarn into a sweater to start our show. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of someone, yeah, you know, I would say Kamala Harris tries to spin yarns, but but mostly she just spins salads. Word salads. And uh, and as we wrap up the podcast this week, I wanted to. Uh, I think we should maybe just add a permanent segment. Kamala Harris, word salad of the week. Jared, what do we have this week? But I mean, truly, when you, you know, when you see our kids, and I truly believe that they are our children, they are the children of our country, of our communities. I, I mean, our future is really bright if we, if we prioritize them and therefore prioritize the climate crisis and the need to address it. When you see our kids... And I truly believe that they are our children. That's the vice president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure we tuck that in this week uh, before we wrap up. And then one final thing on the overall national political environment, a clip from MSNBC, the pollster extraordinaire over there, uh, had to admit the top two issues in the midterms. Jared, what do we got? When you look at our most recent NBC poll here and you ask folks, what is the single most important issue that's going to drive your vote in this year's midterm elections? A combined 34 percent cite either jobs in the economy or inflation. And you combine those two, that's the biggest single number you're going to get. And on that question, the Republicans have a nearly 30-point advantage over the Democrats. It's 8% in our most recent poll who cite abortion as the number one issue in their midterm vote. Democrats have a comparable advantage uh, within that 8% over Democrats, but 34 versus 8. That's economy and inflation. That's where abortion is in between. And yet uh, nearly 100 percent of all coverage of this entire midterm has been about abortion, despite the fact that it's actually inflation and the economy that are driving most voters. Let's wrap up the podcast this week, guys. Seen, read, heard. Sean Southern, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, I had the good fortune of having dinner with uh, George Nash, who is a historian attached to the Hoover Institution. Uh, and I don't know if you are are aware, but this month is Russell Kirk month. All right. In uh, the conservative movement. And so uh, please make sure you find time 
to uh, have dinner with some friends and uh, reflect on Russell Kirk, who is the intellectual backing to the conservative movement uh, back in the 1940s all the way uh, up until Reagan's presidency. Jared, great, great call out. That sounds like an amazing dinner. Good one. Jared, what do you got? Um, so it's October spooky season. I have a, a tradition sort of every October. My favorite Halloween movie since I was, well, gosh, maybe five years old has always been Ernest Scared Stupid. I loved the Ernest. <laughs> I loved the Ernest P. Worrell movies growing up. Every Sunday we used to go to this, what was our sort of blockbuster, it was called Video Paradise, and they used to always get an Ernest, you know, Ernest rides again, Ernest goes to jail, all, all those things. But Ernest Scared Stupid is my favorite Halloween movie, and so I busted out the DVD uh, this past weekend and watched Ernest Scared Stupid for what will be the first of many times this October, but is my favorite Halloween movie. The fact that you have a DVD is just amazing. It is, yeah. Right. DVD players, yeah. Well, my Xbox. Well, well, first of all, this raises an interesting question. What is everyone's favorite Ernest movie? Mine is Ernest Goes to Camp. Oh, that's a great, I, yeah, we, that's we good watched one. We watched a lot of Ernest Goes to Camp. Joe, you ever heard of Ernest? you know Ernest? Jim Varney, yes. I just want to point out, was a classically trained actor born in Kentucky. Yeah. So uh, I just want to point that out. Uh, that'll be my contribution to the Ernest. He was, you have to uh, understand, Joe stopped watching movies like – in the 1970s and so every movie before that he's likely seen and so and heard everybody has <laughs> seen a jim Varn, varney movie because he is slink in toy story he, he's yeah, absolutely it off. Right. i wish everyone could see joe just shaking his head at me and just with <laughs> ultimate disdain where where was uh where was uh, jim varney born in kentucky joe do you know lexington lexington kentucky that's amazing you know who else lives in lexington this is a complete and total tangent if I'm not mistaken, another classically trained actor who I loved, who played Zod in the original Superman, Terrence Stamp, I believe, I believe I've read, lives in Lexington. Another favorite of mine from kind of, you know, he's in a lot of different stuff. He's very recognizable. He was in the Star Wars uh, a prequel, Sean. Mm-hmm. He was he was the, uh, he was like the head of the Senate before, uh, uh, Palpatine had him tossed. Uh, but uh, anyway, speaking of classically trained actors who have connections to Kentucky. All right, Joe Arnold, seen Red Herd. Okay, I'll try to make this as brief as I can. Today, October 12th, when we're recording this, my father's 89th birthday, Richard Arnold, a few years ago, he emailed his children, including me, uh, <laughs> the, the his rules to life. Here they are in rapid fire. Live by the golden rule, do it now, write it down, have a to-do list and prioritize, work hard, do more than the job requires, be respectful, be friendly, be neat, eat breakfast, including a banana, be active, (laughs) remember the past, but live in the present, keep your family close, be on time, plan to arrive early, volunteer, pace yourself, get plenty of rest, exercise, think positive, be happy, don't sweat the small stuff, drive defensively, plan ahead, make the most of today, work outside your comfort zone, remember birthdays, clean up after yourself, and eat red licorice. Dad, happy birthday. Man, that is an amazing – can we put that out on the uh, Twitter feed? That'd that's be great. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that's great. Those are really yeah. wonderful rules. That that's is – Rules uh, to life. That is amazing. And did, did he develop those all sort of at one time? Or did that, was that kind of like a – I that think down? that he's – over the years, he's always kind of like these are kind of came about different times. And then my sister Elisa asked him, 
put them all down in one place so we can have a list. Then, then she actually made little playing cards, little little trading cards of my dad's face on one side and the rules of life on the other. So that was great. Those that kind of sounds like the commandments for flyover country. <laughs> <laughs> we can adopt them. Yeah. I will. I will share with you the playing cards next time I I actually make it the the effort to see you in person. That is a uh, that is a really great really great call out. Mine is going to be a. Uh, I don't know if this is. A, I guess it's a scene. I seen and stayed at for the first time a historic property uh, on the West Coast called the Hotel Del Coronado, uh, which is sometimes just known as the Hotel Del. It is uh, on the beach uh, in Coronado, which is just across San Diego Bay. There from beautiful San Diego, California. It is, um, I think, one of the few sort of remaining like wooden Victorian beach resorts. I got invited out there by a group uh, to give a political briefing and and did that this week. But uh, it's been a national historic landmark since 1977. It has had a number of notable guests, including, including Frank Baum. Anybody know who Frank Baum is? I do. Frank was uh, Wizard of Oz. Correct. L. Frank Baum did much of his writing at the hotel. He is said to have based his design for the Emerald City on it. And according to the hotel, he wrote the Wizard of Oz at the hotel. That's what they say. Uh, but also, um, there are many, many other famous people who have been there uh, over the years, including, um, uh, was it Queen Elizabeth's uncle who abdicated the throne? Yes. I believe, yes. yeah, I, I think he may have met his, the the American divorcee that he ended up abdicating. I think they may have met at the Hotel Dell. Um, anyway, 1888, uh, long-time uh, hotel out there. If you ever go out to Coronado, I highly recommend it. It was, uh, it was fun to sort of be in a historic place that's uh, hosted a lot, of, uh, a lot of famous people. All right, that's it for Flyover Country. Joe Arnold, thank you for popping in here, and, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to getting you back in the driver's seat next week. Jared, appreciate you. Sean, uh, thanks for being here. I'm Scott Jennings. Again, we appreciate you following us, subscribing to us, recommending us, leaving all your um, uh, all your comments and running into us out there. I know we've, we're all running into people who are saying they're listening to Flyover Country, and we sincerely appreciate it. Jared, take us home. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.